Welcome from the Trujillo family. We just want to send our love to everybody because we're missing you. Just a few quick fire questions. What is your favorite pizza topping? My favorite pizza topping is, of course, ham and pineapple. Ham and pineapple. That's my favorite, ham and pineapple. Controversial family, but I'm sticking with pepperoni. <laughs> ah. If you had one superpower, what would it be? I would like elasticity because I want to be elastic girl. We all know what you've been watching. <laughs> time travel, so if I make a mistake, I can go back in time and make that mistake right. All right, Mike McFly. Oh, I, I want the power of cloning so I can uh, rest while my clone are doing everything for me. I mean, you already got that. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Who is the smartest in the family? I think we can all agree that it's one. <laughs> Alright, what is your favourite family activity? Bike riding. Bike riding. Bike riding. I think we can all agree it's bike riding. Oh, serious one. What do you do when you're worried? Personally, I have a ventilate. <laughs> you do. I pray. I do something else that will take my mind off the problem. I'll uh, just go on shopping because that's all I'm worried about every time. Glad I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, church. So great to be together again um, in our online environment. And a huge welcome to you. And, you know, If you're getting used to this kind of space or perhaps if you're with us for the first time, you're so welcome. Do please fill in our connection card. We'd love to keep you abreast of what's happening in church life, help you with your next steps, and we'll get some great resources to you as well if you would like. Um, and if you're part of the church, make sure as well that we have your up-to-date information. You'll know um, through some of our messaging over recent days and weeks of our plans through the summer and coming into the autumn. Just to recap for you, we're looking to be back in our church building for Sunday morning gatherings from that first Sunday in September. Don't worry if you're not there yet. Um, we're going to be continuing um, to be broadcasting online in this space as well and making sure that whether you're in person or online, the experience is tailored for you and enables you to engage with God's goodness, his grace and with one another. Uh, tracking back from there, we've got some great stuff happening through the summer. I know you've reserved the date of August the 23rd, and that's when we're going to be having our drive-in church experience. We're going to be letting you know more about that, um, but suffice to say, it's going to be a lot of fun, something totally different, and do make sure to be inviting your friends. We're getting some um, shareable um, things for you so that you can invite others to come along. You will need to be booking for that and for when we're back in person as well, but we'll let you know more about that as the summer progresses. Through the summer, our Transform communities are already organising so many ways for people to connect in smaller groups, socially distanced, outdoors and so on and so forth, picnics, barbecues, get-togethers, all sorts. And we've been um, helping you all to associate with one of those communities so that nobody misses out on their invitation. Please, again, uh, let us know via the connection card or our church prayer line if you've not yet been connected with any of those things. Lastly, um, just to say that it is on the 13th of August 
um, that we're having another of our Zoom church prayer evenings at eight o'clock that evening. Last time, remarkable, brilliant, powerful time of prayer. And we're looking forward to that again. Let's enjoy uh, what I'm sure will be a remarkable, brilliant and powerful time of worshipping God together today. Next Sunday, we're going to be led in worship by Ian Yates, who uh, many of us know, and that's going to be absolutely wonderful. This Sunday, we're really enjoying how our own great team are going to be leading us in song and helping us to encounter God together. So let's dive right in to worshipping and praising our beautiful, wonderful, powerful God. And let's know him more and delight in him. Welcome into this time that we get to share, digging deep into the word of God and allowing God uh, wondrously to speak into our lives. Let's see our lives changed by his grace, his goodness, his love, his power at work in us. We're aware perhaps in these circumstances and in these times that we're living that we need maybe more than ever before to clearly hear God speaking to us. We're so thankful that he does. Not only that, but to hear God and to allow for and to actively seek that our lives should be changed by God's word to us. Over the summer, uh, we're, we're well into now um, our six-week series entitled Bless. It's all about living everyday rhythms of life with gospel intentionality. Look, we're aware that um, we've not been gathering in our usual kind of settings or environments or, or numbers. And there's so much of us that just deeply desires to be back in our church building, to be back with one another. And those things are good. But we realise that the call of God on our lives is more than a building. It's more than an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday. The call of God is for every aspect of our lives to be transformed and to be transformative in our world. It's for those everyday rhythms of life to be full of God. It's what gospel intentionality is. We're describing it as doing the ordinary activities of life under the rule and reign of Jesus, doing them for Jesus, for his glory. It's what worship really is. And doing them with the power of the Spirit, such that they might really uh, profoundly impact the lives of those around us with the love and the grace and the truth of God. And today, the rhythm that we're considering um, is the rhythm of eating. Do you know I've been looking forward to this? Uh, first couple of rhythms, we consider the rhythm of blessing, how we are blessed by God and we can profoundly bless others. And the, the challenge has been that we might seek to bless others three times each and every week in word or in action or by means of a gift. And I hope that that's something that you've been exploring. Please God, something that you've been embedding into your life if that's not yet been a part of your living. Secondly, we considered the rhythm of listening how it is that God does want to speak to us through his word, by means of his spirit, in community, and actually how we need to listen to the world around us before we speak. And today, eating. Sundays, uh, traditionally, at least in British society, have always been a time when we kind of think a little more, perhaps, about our eating. Sunday lunch. Aren't they two words to conjure something rather wondrous in the imagination? 
Well, it's been different. Sunday afternoons during lockdowns, quarantines and uh, physical social distancing. I know within my wider family, traditionally we would have got together after a church gathering on a Sunday and spent some time with one another. We haven't been able to do that, of course, the same as you all. Uh, what we have been doing is on a Sunday afternoon, we've been um, adding yet another Zoom uh, to our diaries and meeting with one another, even uh, with the Singaporean uh, part of our family. And, uh, you know, we, we've each kind of had our own meals and we gather together. Truth is, uh, there's been a little bit of culinary show and tell as those of us who perhaps weren't in the habit of cooking that Sunday lunch beforehand have well found ourselves having to do that and truth is quite enjoying it and and you know all of these things they're different they're new and we enjoy you know the cooking the the food of course we do and there's a there's an element whereby even in these Sundays we perhaps have been enjoying the slightly less hectic pace yet profoundly I know for me for us we we miss though the company of gathering around a table that communal aspect of eating, the, the aspects of, of chatting informally while we eat with three-dimensional humans <laughs> eating also with us, and then of course collapsing on the couch together after lunch too. It's an integral part of it, isn't it? Eating can be more. You know, our everyday rhythm that we're talking about is eating. And yes, it's every day, but it still is something that is important, of course, but can be precious. You know, we're looking to practice these rhythms with gospel intentionality. And, and here, just right at the outset, I want to, to give you this aspiration, thinking about in every week. And again, we acknowledge some of the difficulties in our current circumstances, but let's let's start to project these things forward. In every week, what would it look like for us to eat or have a drink or whatever it might be with people outside of the ordinary or immediate family perhaps at least three times offering friendship and community as well as food. Why? Why eat? Strange question I guess we have to of course but as believers as followers of God you know especially you know believers who are understanding who we are in God wanting others to know who they can be in God. Eating can become an opportunity for worship, for growth and for witness. Food can be more than a functional thing. Have you ever seen the movie Chef with John Favreau? If you've not seen it and if you like food at all, oh, go and see that movie. I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. Um, just make sure you eat afterwards or during and after, before, during and after the movie, and, and you'll get the most out of it. Um, this guy, he's a chef, really high-end stuff, but he's fallen out of love with food. And he begins through a process of total deconstruction to rediscover his love for food, but for life, and indeed for those around him. Food seemed to be his life. But it was actually starting again, rethinking what it could mean in the ordinary and challenging back to basics of cooking and eating, which became the salvation of his life. It's a good movie, a bit of a metaphor for how we might think of food and of eating as well. Rethinking, restarting, 
what could it be? You know, in all cultures, I think it's fair to say that eating can be a powerful sign of community, one of welcome, one of belonging. Um, the, The offering of food can go well beyond any sense of charity because it becomes something we do with people and not solely something we do for people. What matters is less the quality of the food, it's nice, but it's less important, more it's the expression of friendship, of love and of care. We prize family meals way over and above the idea of a formal dinner party, for instance. You know, meals should be less about trying to impress others and more a great environment to live out grace, community and mission. Grace, community and mission. As Christians, you know, we should resolve to eat and enjoy the company with others because of that grace, that free gift of the goodness of God. We are now family together because of God, our Father. Grace is extended to us and and that's a primary factor in our wanting to gather around food. Again, because of that joy of community, we get to be servants of one another just as Jesus has served us. And so the delight in inviting another, of, of, of making food for another, even of washing up after another, is all an expression of who we are in Jesus. And we want to celebrate not just that grace, not just that community, but that mission also. We are the sent ones, full of the Holy Spirit of God. So why not be sent with food, with that welcome, with that invitation, with that place and point and purpose of gathering? Eating with others can be powerful. It can be powerful with meaning and powerfully moving. And once again, we realise that often, maybe always, we need to change. And here we'll see that there's a potential change for us. We're going to unpack how it's a change of priority, how it's a change of perspective, and how it's a change of people, not just others, but us too. Let's worship the God who welcomes us. And so we're inviting God to change us and change um, our priorities, our perspectives, our engagement with others, and indeed our own selves. And initially we want to look at that idea of a change of priorities to actually make eating a priority in a healthy, God-given, life-enhancing way. You know, as a lover of good food, can I start here by saying that eating is not a task to be completed? You know, I just want, you know, if you need to repent, then let's just give you a moment. (laughs) In all seriousness... Look, it isn't something to be hurried, a snatched something scarfed in private. I read this week of the government's new food report, and there were many conclusions there, but one thing startled me. Um, it It was the note that British people take half as much time as the French to eat their meals. Incroyable. It's disgraceful, isn't it? And, you know, if if for nothing other than national pride, we need to sort that out. But with all the potential to practice grace, community and mission, shouldn't eating be something more than that? At least some of the time. Look, uh, on any given week, we might expect to have 21 meals, might we not? Three a day, um, each day. 
uh, shouldn't we prioritize at least three of them to be something more than functional? When we think about our meals, let's think about the meaning that they might have and perhaps allow the priority of them to rise up within our own thinking and our own practice. Ask yourself, who am I eating with? What am I eating and why? You know, Jesus, he was wrongly um, called a glutton and a drunkard because he ate with people on purpose. He ate with tax collectors, with those considered sinners, because he chose to make his eating a priority in his engagement with others. Who do you need to be eating with as a missionary of God? Who do we need to be eating with as the family of God, really extending that reality into our world? When we think about the priority of eating, can I again assert its priority with the very meaning of our faith? Remind yourself and read it perhaps for yourself in Luke 22, as Jesus himself symbolized his own death with a meal, with bread that he broke and with a cup that he shared, this central transformative aspect of our faith without which we have nothing, we are nothing. Jesus chose to signify that with food, with friends. And then we track forward to Luke 24 in that same gospel account as the now risen Christ is made known again to some of his friends through the same breaking of bread. That's a powerful meaning in food, isn't that? And in the sharing of food with one another, if we do it right. I'm sure that we'd all love to be able to make the Lord's Supper, that breaking of bread, a priority together again as a church. You know, it, it is good in our homes, isn't it, that we can take a, a crust of tiger loaf from Asda and a bit of summer fruit squash or whatever you've got and enjoy communion in your home. But there'll be something profound about sharing it all together, won't there? We would make that a priority. But in the scriptures and in the example of Jesus, it shows us that the breaking of bread, the sharing of food is a priority in many, many, many ways. All of them, each of them, open to grace, community and mission. Eating should be a priority. Change your priority. And eating should change our perspectives as well. I think it's fair to say that over recent decades, the amount of global food options has flourished in the UK. Once, not that long ago, the only options would have been perhaps some special fried rice, chicken tikka masala or a doner kebab. That was global cuisine. Uh, now the options are endless and, you know, you could go all the way from the Singapore cafe in Birkenhead to the Abyssinia kitchen in Heswell and travel the world in the space of this beautiful peninsula. Food can be transformative. It can have the potential to broaden our horizons. That's far better than it broadening our waistlines, don't you think? And even to broaden and enrich our humanity and our engagement with other humans too, our understanding and appreciation of one another. What if our eating was actually more than a culinary experience and became a spiritual one too? Cross-cultural eating Eating that shifts our perspectives away from ourselves or our own understanding of our own rightness or preeminence to, to the, the, the loving of one another 
cross-cultural eating is actually a, a recurrent biblical theme, in fact. It's a profound story, isn't there, in Genesis chapter 18, how Abraham there entertains those three strangers who arrive out of nowhere, and he finds himself hosting God, God himself, for dinner. Wow, that's remarkable, isn't it? It's no wonder then when you track forward to the other end of the Bible in Hebrews 13 and verse 2, that possibility is repeated to us and we're instructed, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I could go for that kind of perspective shift. I don't know about you. What do angels like to eat? Goodness me, uh, possibilities. Or consider... Perhaps the story of Ruth in the Old Testament as well. Beautiful story out of tragedy. How a Gentile widow receives hospitality and welcome among God's people. And how provision of, of food, even just the basics of, of grain and a place of welcome become the gateway to her salvation and the saving of her entire family and the generations to come. And through those generations, spiritual salvation comes through food, <laughs> through welcome, hospitality. There's a perspective shift, isn't it? And how about the wonderful story of the feeding of the 5,000? We love it, don't we? John chapter six, that's a great place to read it. And there, what seems like an impossible feeding task. You know, Jesus tells his merry band of disciples to feed the hordes. Well, it's turned from something impossible into the inspirational, transformational wonder of God's plenty being passed from one hand to another to another and never running out. There's a perspective shift, isn't there? That perspective that, that at the beginning looked down upon a lad's lunchbox and then transformed to seeing how something so humble and simple could become something so wonderful and delightful. You know, that story of that simple, humble meal that sparked the miraculous, it follows on and comes in direct contrast to a very different feast in the Gospels. Previously, the story is in Herod Antipas' house, place of great luxury, and there, there's a deluxe feast, which is the scene for, well, some scandalous debauchery that ultimately leads to the murder of John the Baptist. Oh, how a change in perspective is needed in our world. You know, our fallen humanity, it craves for more and more and more and is never satisfied, even with such tragic consequence. Yet, in humility before God, we can receive that which appears so simple and yet satisfies our deepest longings and our ultimate needs eating. Change the priority. Have a change in perspective. God can do some rather wonderful things, don't you think? If he is present in our meals and if we welcome others to come and meet with us and with him. So they, they say that you are what you eat. And I think it's probably fair to say that I do have something of a bagel around the middle. But um, in terms of an invitation to the grace of God, his community and his mission, I would say it's actually more of a case that you are who you eat with. As we want to eat 
with gospel intentionality. Practice that everyday rhythm, but with gospel intentionality. There's a true sense that we can always be eating with Jesus. And that in this, he is forming us first and most fully. We're becoming more and more like him in his character and in his conduct. The more time we intentionally spend with him. And you know, we can eat with new people too in order to become a new person in other ways in addition to what Christ is doing in our lives. You know, don't worry, you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, we can afford to change. We have that potential. Wonderfully, as we take God in us, wherever we go, his presence at our meals also means that others can begin and continue in their journey of change by eating with us, by that intentionality of Christ in that presence. Now, not only that, but actually the Bible teaches us that Jesus has gone ahead of us in this. You know, he ate with the most unlikely of characters, the most seemingly unsavory of characters, so that they could be, would be changed by his presence. In the Bible, um, there are loads of examples of this. I'm just going to read to you from Luke chapter 5 and verses 23 through to 37. And the Bible there says that after this, he, that is Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. We know him also as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's the intentionality of the gospel most perfectly represented to us by Jesus. Look, you see, the Old Testament, as we've considered earlier today, it gives us a strong tradition of hospitality and Jesus is affirming that and expanding that in a new way, welcoming in others who are really seemingly quite distant from God and yet on the cusp of accepting and welcoming him. Jesus And we find it often in Luke's gospel. He called himself the son of man. That's actually an Old Testament title. And he said that the son of man, he came eating and drinking. You find that a little later on in Luke 7 and verse 34. Interestingly and importantly, in Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, that son of man, he is the one who receives all authority. And with all authority from God the Father, here we see Jesus comes, eating with sinners. He didn't derive his authority from the perspectives of the so-called religious elite. He didn't derive his authority from uh, their opinions of him or what they said about him or, you know, the the respect or, or whatever that he might have craved from others in society. Not at all. Authority from God, welcoming those who are far, bringing them near. And and Jesus invites us in that same way. At the end of the gospel stories, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, now therefore go. 
And in the same manner as Christ, we're commissioned to go. In the same manner? Well, Jesus wasn't at all shy about eating and drinking with people. In Luke's gospel there in chapter 7, he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hangs out with people who perhaps have had those labels put onto them. Look, he, he isn't either of those things, but people say he is because of his freedom in coming to others. His eating and his drinking demonstrate that he comes as, what does the Bible say? A friend of sinners. With all authority, Jesus brings God's love close to those who would otherwise be far from God. He brings hope and invitation. He brings change and challenge as he sits and eats and listens and speaks and blesses. How about us? What's more, Jesus eating with sinners, it is a powerful expression of God's grace and his new community. By inviting others to come and eat with him, to be changed by him, Jesus is forming new communities who can go and do likewise. Now, what is the ultimate outcome of all the meals of God's presence, of all the meals of the community of God going in his manner? Well, the Bible describes this new creation of God's grace as a great banquet. Everybody who's been invited to break bread with Jesus in Bible times, in today times, we're all headed toward this great sense of banquet. It's there prophesied in Isaiah 25. It's spoken of by Jesus in Luke chapter 14. It's prophesied again in Revelation 19. Come on, the question is for us, how are our meals a foretaste of that glorious future, of that banqueting in the presence of God? How are they in, in, in the, who you're welcoming, who you're inviting? and in who you're introducing them to, Jesus himself. Now lastly, as we draw into a close, jump back to that story that we looked at in John 6 with me, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's a story then that leads to Jesus describing himself as the bread of life. Jesus is the sustenance of his new communities of grace, of you and of me. If we're in Christ, we, we, we in a very real sense are, are sustained by him, feeding upon him. Realise this. Here's a wonder for you. Jesus doesn't come to do away with what we can offer saying, I've got something better. No, 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 no. Rather, he is supernatural in the very best sense of the word. He takes what is natural and makes it more than it could possibly be. He takes the natural, he makes it transcendent, more than it could ever be without him. Think of that lad with his uh, few loaves and fishes. And soon, a massive crowd is encountering the blessing and the kingdom of God. It's not just that they have full bellies, it's that they have full hearts and a fuller vision of the kingdom of God. Think about Matthew, Levi, that we just read about. He invites his friends around to dinner with Jesus, and they're soon moving from the cheese course to Jesus. Uh, sorry, I couldn't resist that, but they're encountering Jesus. You think about the first miracle that's recorded in the life of Christ. At a wedding party, Jesus takes ordinary water and turns it into the choicest wine. He takes the natural, what you and I have, what we can bring, and he does the miracle. All this is to say, your tuna pasta bake is good enough for the miraculous. Your cupcakes are what Jesus wants. Your barbecue on the front porch, chatting with neighbours, 
There's the wonder of the kingdom. Your picnic with your transformed community in the park, that is the community of God's grace. That socially distanced coffee or pint with a mate, that connection is between your friend and the friend of sinners. As lockdown continues to ease and we ought to be praying earnestly into such things, I'm sure you are, we begin to imagine, don't we, the joys of going for a lunch or a dinner or a coffee or a dessert with friends. I don't know whether you've heard, um, but actually I saw when I was in Liverpool the other week, there's a Jollibee opening. Praise God, my Filipino friends. Um, I'm sure you already know all about this, but I was quite excited on your behalf. Um, surely it's only a matter of time now, isn't it, before a Tim Hortons branch opens in Liverpool, or dare I say it, a Mr Biggs. Did I get that right, Nigerian friends? I need to go to Nigeria again, don't I? I feel like I've only just been scratching the surface. Anyhow, look, here is what we're aiming for. Remember this. Each week, we're aspiring to eat and have a drink with people outside of our immediate family at least three times, offering friendship and community. There's challenges at the moment, but get creative. There's opportunity, and it can only increase. Soon we'll be able to have meals together as whole transformed communities. Not yet, maybe, but soon. But even now you can have those picnics in the park, those barbecues, those uh, coffees with friends. Look, if you're back in the workplace, you can take that lunch with a colleague rather than with your phone. <laughs> a story. A number of years ago, there was a third grader in the States, Matthew Lesage, and he wanted to do something to help the hungry in the city. So he started a program called Hams for the Hungry. Catchy, isn't it? In its fourth year, just after four years, Hams for the Hungry raised 40,000 US dollars to brighten the Christmas season for people with limited resources. Stories much like that of another young lad I read of this week, 13 years old at the time, who read about Dr. Albert Schweitzer's missionary work in Africa those years ago. He wanted to help and he had enough money to buy one bottle of aspirin. So he wrote to the Air Force, would you believe? Asked if they could fly over Dr. Schweitzer's hospital and drop the bottle down to him. A radio station picked up on this. It's amusing but touching, isn't it? And they broadcast the story about the young lad's concern for helping others. Others rang in and said, I, I want to join in, how can I help? Eventually, he was flown by the government, would you believe, to Schweitzer's hospital, along with four and a half tons of medical supplies, worth in those days $400,000, freely given by thousands of people. It'd be millions of dollars in these days. When Dr. Schweitzer heard the whole story, he said, I never thought one child could do so much. I bet they said that about that lad with the loaves and the fishes. I never thought one child could do so much. One child, hey, one member of Gateway Church, one meal, one coffee, one miracle of the presence of Jesus Christ, one life changed, and another, and another, and another. <laughs> oh, let's worship God together. Let's break bread together. Remember, he's with us in this. <laughs> and celebrate his goodness together. But I tell you what, I'm going to go and figure out how to have coffee with somebody after this. <laughs>